Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. Hello. Hi there. What is going on? Nothing much. How are you going? (laughs) I'm good. I feel like I've lived about 20 lives today. But I'm on oh, my really? uh, fourth, fourth coffee. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? Why? What's going on? Just have done a lot. You know, like I'm trying to like just get out in this at the start of the day, do everything I need to do, and then I can just coast through the rest of the day, you know? Yeah. So got up. Yeah, I love that. We're at the like shops at like 9.30, did our groceries, did all the jobs I had to do, and then, yeah. Yeah, I feel like when you get so much done in the morning, you're just you feel more productive. Like I, I That's honestly I feel like yeah, and you just feel like better. Like you've achieved something early on. I don't know. It just makes you the rest of your day better. I'm a bit of an early bird too. Like I feel like my brain functions like at optimum level in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I'm like dead. <laughs> Crush it. Yeah. So like it's good to get all my stuff done. And you know as well, like I've been running around because Elsie's like started like climbing on everything. Oh, has she? So like, yeah, so I got like, we've had for ages, like, you know, they're called learning towers. They're like those things that like sit against the bench so they can like stand up and do stuff with you. But she's oh, yeah. learned to like push that and then she climbs up onto the kitchen bench and like I walked <gasps> in before and she was just sitting on the bench. Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> so like, I just have to watch her all the time. She's just like so destructive. She like pulled out all the clothes from her drawers before. <laughs> <laughs> I just How it was just like not laugh. I feel off. like I'd be so bad laughing. I mean like I don't tell her off. Like I just think it's fine to you know, in our own house she can do what she wants. But it's like it's just like a cyclone. It's like one room to another, she's doing something crazy, climbing on something, pulling something out, like <laughs> but you know, she keeps herself busy, so I'll take what I can get. Exactly. And it's just keeping yourself entertained and it's harmless. Like, you'll let her go for it. She is, she's a busy gal. She's always got got a lot on. I feel like that's you, though. Like, she's probably like, all right, I'm going to take after my mama, you know? Yeah, yeah. Do you know as well, like, um, that reminds me, what she's been started doing over the last few days, which literally is like my dream country. She started singing. Oh, my God. And it's so cute, Karina. It's so cute. Like, I love she, that. I, she was she likes to like sit at my um at my desk and like I put music on and she kind of just sits in the chair and pretends she's on the computer. But yesterday she was sitting on the chair and I saw her like not dancing, she's like swaying side to side and like singing the song. It was so cute. I love that. Mm, it was very cute. What sort of is she singing like kids' songs or is she like onto Taylor Swift or something? <laughs> no, you, she loves that movie Trolls and and Justin oh, Timberlake yeah. is the the music the producer, so she yeah. loves that Justin Timberlake like that main song that he sings. So she sings that and like because I'm so pro Britney, I'm very anti Justin, so I don't know how oh. I feel about it. <laughs> you know what? Actually, now that we're bringing up Britney, do you know what's on Netflix that I watched the other day? I just you know I just had a bad day at work and I just needed something like. I just want to watch something and not have to think, and I put on Crossroads. And what? Oh, I love that movie. movie. It is such it's a so good movie. Good. It made yeah. me a little bit sad because Britney's just so amazing in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it did make me a little sad, but it's a great movie, and it is on Netflix. They've just added it. So if anyone's, you know. Remember a while ago afternoon. I was – remember a while ago I was telling you about that celebrity. Yes. Yeah. That um, said that Britney's dead. Like, remember how I was telling yes. you she posted that Instagram tribute? That's the girl in Crossroads, the one that gets pregnant. Yes, that's the actress that I was talking yes. about. Yeah, yeah. So, so interesting, um, right? Yeah, I remember I went to say Crossroads at the movies, like, because it was obviously sixteen plus. But my mum took me and my sister. I was like, so good. That is so good. Yeah. Um, any other news this week? I don't know I if there's feel much. like I am a little behind. We, there's so much crime news, but I'm going to be honest, I'm a little behind on it. I can just give you like 
a little bit of rundowns, you know what I mean? But I can't go into detail because I'm not fully like across everything. Um, but obviously they did, I don't know if that was last week actually or this week, that they found the two bodies of yep. Jesse and, oh my goodness, the, well, I cannot remember what his partner's name was. Um, like Ben or Bo or? No, Bo was the killer. I remember that. Bo was the killer. Yeah, yeah, I was like. Um, Jesse, yeah, so, oh, yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. It is the tip of my tongue as well. But um, let me find it. Hang on. While we're still talking. Um, yeah, they found their bodies. He had driven them out. To, he actually is the one that told police after he – so he got a lawyer, right? And then he confessed, obviously, once he got the lawyer um, where, and he told them where the bodies were. Anyway, so then they drove out, they found their bodies, and I think they were in, like, he had gone and bought in, like, um, surf body bags. Yeah. And that's where he put them in. But, Lockie, the craziest thing, I've only seen a few snippets of this, like, every day there's, like, a new thing, like, bam, like, crazy new information regarding these killings. Like, and every day there's something else, right? The One of the, well, there's a few things that I just quickly want to tell you. One, apparently there was a triple zero phone call from Jesse's phone yeah. and it's and in it he's saying like get the fuck out and like mm. oh fuck off or something so he definitely like obviously he's entered the home and they've someone's called you know triple zero that's one thing another thing is apparently because he had housemates I think it was yeah. two girls and they had got home and I think that they had seen like blood in the backyard or something but they thought it was like I was going to say Beetlejuice, so beetroot juice. Okay. Is red? Is beetroot red? Yes. Yeah. They thought, yeah. It was, they, thought, they, they thought it was something like, do you know what I mean, weird had spilt in the backyard. Yeah. Um, and, like, you wouldn't think anything. Like, you live with a police officer, you know? Yes. Oh, That's no, not no, where no, sorry, this go is, straight away. No, no, this is at the house where they were murdered. Oh, see, the, I'm, like, so behind with everything. Yeah, so he so what so he did it at their house, right? And then he put their bodies, he did it in like the morning, right? And our neighbours heard gunshots, but they mustn't have reported it. And then after that, like he I don't know if he's gone and he's put their bodies, he's gone and bought these um body bags or whatever, these um surf bags, whatever I said before, right? Anyway, oh he put this guy, he put the his name's Luke, by the way. So it's Luke and Jesse. So Bo puts Luke and Jesse's bodies in these bags and puts it in their backyard, right? He stores them in the backyard in these surf body bags. The two housemate girls come home. They see, like, red in the backyard and they just think it's, like, some sort of, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, whatever, beetroot juice or something. They don't think too much of it, but they see the two surf body bags and one of the housemates touches it with her fingers. That was their bodies. But she doesn't click. She's just like, oh, okay, whatever, sort of thing. And then, like, do you know what I mean? They go home and they go back into the house and go to sleep. So they slept that night with their bodies in the backyard. They had no idea. And I'm pretty sure, again, I'm not fully across it, but I'm pretty sure that Bo had taken, like, Jesse's phone and was messaging. I think he messaged his housemate, her house, sorry, yeah, his housemates to say, like, I don't know if that he was going away or something. Like, he was trying to cover his tracks. My God, so there is a lot going on in that case, and as I said, there's new developments every every time I switch on like YouTube, it's like a new thing saying that there's another new crazy fact about the case. But that, so that's sort of this week, and I probably butchered the story a little. Did but... I say something? I, I might, I might be wrong because obviously I'm not. I'm just not like that across this one. Did I say something along the lines of like because I know he killed them with his police weapon or he used his police weapon. Did I read something that he was actually on shift? Yes. I read, no, I read that as well, that he was on shift that morning. Oh, well, I thought but it was like, about originally. But was, wouldn't he have I a partner, was, like a police partner that would be with him? Unless he just signed in and was like going to meet. I don't know, his partner. He's yeah. obviously, it, you know what? It has to be some sort of premeditation because he obviously knew they were dating and he's gone to the guy's house and the guys told him to get out. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and I think there's like, there's like, they're looking into that. Like another article that I had read is that they're getting like the Victoria police, I don't know, 
commissioner, I don't even know if that's the right word, but anyway, they're going over to see if the, the way that they handle like the, you know, the signing in and out of their guns and stuff, do you know what I mean? If that is, has gone to what's happened with this murder, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, did he sign out his gun and he wasn't allowed to? Like what is like the sort of stuff surrounding his gun and like was he on shift and that sort of stuff? So, um, yeah, pretty crazy. Mm, crazy. Yeah. Um, and then Samantha Murphy, no real developments this week that I've no. seen. There was um, a um there was a um a message to you this week. They did a under investigation on Samantha during the week. But can I tell you I didn't finish it, but from what I can tell, there's still it's pretty much all the info we put out there, but they're saying that they think multiple people are involved. That was like the main gist. Wow. So Crazy. that's what they think. Also, huge news. Again, I have not – I'm not fully, um, like, aware of exactly, like, everything that's happened, but there was the inquest into Marion Barter. The coroner did on Thursday deliver her findings. Yep. And they did – well, she did conclude that Marion had passed. Mm-hmm. So that is, I guess, good news because it was stuff – from my understanding that Sally couldn't get her hands on because of privacy issues. But now that that coroner has found that she has passed, Sally will get all this information, right? But unfortunately, she's now referred it over to the police because I don't think there was enough evidence to say solely that it was Rick Blum or like what he did with her or where she might be. Yeah. Which is so freaking sad because honestly, there's, I feel like there's less, I mean, I get that there's no solid evidence to say what he did with her or what he's done and what he did with her, but far out, surely. Like, I mean, hopefully the police investigate. That's the only thing I can think. Like, fingers crossed the police just do a full investigation on this freaking guy because he's yeah. definitely responsible. 100%, yeah. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's my bit crazy this week. Actually, just quickly before we get into it, because we do have a massive one this week. But, mm. you know, I did have a listener that messaged us on Insta and asked if we had watched Lover, Stalker, Killer. I've switched it on a few times and then I get, like, distracted and I want to, like, sit and watch it properly. So uh, okay, cool. I haven't watched it properly. I reckon I've probably watched the first, like, 45 seconds, like, three times. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it's definitely on my list. Definitely on my list. All right, cool. Yeah, I haven't watched it either, um, but she thinks that we will love it. So we will have to check that out. Yes. Hopefully by this time next week I've watched it and we can yes, talk about it. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, but, yeah, do you want to get into this week? Are you ready to go? I am very much ready to go, Lockie. All right, let's go for it. trial of the man accused of murdering missing Ringwood woman Elizabeth Membry has heard she was being pestered by her alleged killer before she vanished. Rochelle Kettridge told the court Ms Membry confided to her that the accused, Shane Bond, was hassling her to go out with him a week before she disappeared in 1994. However, Ms Kettridge admitted that although she immediately thought Bond was involved in her disappearance, she didn't tell anyone about the conversation until 2007, after police offered a million-dollar reward. The court heard she hadn't thought the information was relevant until Shane Bond became a suspect in the case. He's pleaded not guilty to murder. Okay, so just quickly I want to say a quick thank you to Maggie who requested this case to us. I cannot believe, again, I feel like I say this most times when we get requests, that I was not aware of this case, Lockie. No, and it's wild too. It is very wild. Also, just another quick sort of like housekeeping, one Mm. of our listeners has asked if we can put like a little star or a dash next to all the Australian cases because that's the cases she's mostly interested in. So if you do see a little star, I think we did it a few weeks ago with Samantha, but if you do see a little star next to the episode, it just means it's an Australian case. So I just thought I'd put yep. that out there before I forget as well. Okay, so today we will be discussing the disappearance of Elizabeth Membry. 
So Elizabeth Frances Membry was born on June 6, 1972. Her parents, Joy and Roger Membry, raised her alongside her two older brothers in Vermont, which is like a middle-class suburb in Melbourne. Not anymore. <laughs> no. Wait, do, you, do you think it's like more savage? No, I reckon it's like the- fancy AF. Really? Yeah, Vermont. Yeah. That's like near me. I don't know if I'd say it's fair. I was going to say, I think that it's definitely like probably not middle class, but it's a little bit, you know what I mean? I wouldn't say it's fancy, but it's not not fair. I'd still call it middle class actually. Maybe because I'm close by. But like middle class is like us and like we couldn't buy a house there. It's not that fast. It's like million dollar houses. No, Vermont. Yeah. I think Vermont is like one over from like Glen Waverley and Mount Waverley. Yeah, but they're also like, you know, it's the, the houses there are expensive. Yeah, expensive. Yeah, how interesting. All right, cool. Well, I was going to say <laughs> you, you were out that way at some, do you know what I mean, at some mm-hmm. stage when we were working together, you were sort of. Yeah. Where were you? I was in Montana. I was a bit further out. Further out. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is. The craziest thing about this is, this is just what I think when I start looking at these sorts of cases is, like my very early years were spent in like Glen Waverley. And as I was saying, that's like a suburb over. And I always think to myself, like, did I ever cross paths with Elizabeth? Because I used to go to like the Vermont South Shopping Centre. I used to go to the Blockbuster like every Friday. You know what I mean? Like it's just, this is the sort of things that always just creep me out. I don't know if you ever do this. Do you know what creeps me out about this, actually? One of my best friends, like, who I've been friends with since we were, like, you know, in year seven, her surname is Membry, spelled the exact same way. And like, Really? Yeah, it's just, like, seeing the name, like, over and over again is just, like, you know, psyching me out a bit. But, yeah. Yeah, gosh, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Okay, so I will keep going with our story. So Elizabeth often referred to as Australian's own gone girl, and this is before the movie, so there's little no reference regarding, do you know what I mean, the gone girl movie or that gone girl case we did the other week. It's literally just because she is gone. Gone. Um, <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, exactly. this is not, nothing to do with the movie at all. <laughs> yeah. So there is not much information on this case and so much conflicting details. I can't even tell you. There's only three podcasts that have covered it and I just wanted to give a major shout out to our friends over at My Fridge is Haunted uh, because they had some exclusive content and really good information. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. Do you know, so, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting no, that's okay. You. Um, one thing while I was trying to look into this case it's like Elizabeth with an S. Like yes. I think that really like made it hard to find stuff because, you know, obviously you think you spell it with a Z. Yes, exactly right. And do you know what? Like I think at the time it was very big. Like in the 90s this probably would have been a very big case and I'm sure that if this happened now in this day and age, hundreds of podcasts, there'd be definitely like documentaries and things like that on it. But because it happened in the 90s, it's sort of been forgotten, which is really sad. Yeah, yeah. So described by her mother, Joy, as kind, caring and thoughtful, Elizabeth was known for her love of writing notes to her friends, telling them things like she believes in them. She studied at I know, isn't it? I love notes as well. You know me, I'm a very big note sort of girl. (laughs) (laughs) So she studied at La Trobe University, majoring in arts. And I'm going to say it was with a focus on journalism and politics because some articles say she studied journalism, some say she studied politics. So it's I'm putting them all in there, you know. So her dream was to work as a studio journalist and to work in a newsroom. She regularly corresponded with John, who is a crime writer for The Age, for advice. Like she'd send him, like, you know, pieces and she'd ask for his advice or, you know, what she could do better. So I thought she was really proactive in sort of getting her career up and running. Who would have known, like, if – sorry. No, that's okay. If, like, um, you know, she didn't have this fate, like, imagine if, like, you know, she was like a news anchor or something. Like who, how do we know what her career would have been like? Exactly. And, you know, this is one of the saddest things 
I'm not going to say of all, but this is one of the saddest things with this case is that obviously he, sorry, he would go on to report her disappearance, John, so the one who she was corresponding with, but Elizabeth would never know that she received her dream job offer with Channel 10 Lockie. And this is to become a trainee journalism. And the letter arrived the day she disappeared. Yeah, what the hell? I know, right? So like you said, who knows what could have been. In 1994, 22-year-old Elizabeth lived with her close friend Vivian in a two-bedroom unit located at 92 Bedford Road in East Ringwood, Victoria, Australia. Now, again, conflicting reports. I'm going to go with Vivian owned the property and I'll sort of give you some tip, like tips as to why I think that later on. But I'm going to say, yeah, so Vivian owned this particular property and I'm guessing that Elizabeth moved in just to like either help her out or she just wanted to, you know, be a little bit more independent. So Elizabeth was a talented ballet dancer and she loved to dance. Elizabeth and Vivian were members of the same studio and would regularly dance together. Elizabeth had a boyfriend named Jason who she absolutely adored. They were quite a serious relationship. I think that they were actually planning a trip to like Queensland for the following, you know, summer. So, um, yeah, they were like in a loving relationship. So she worked part-time as a barmaid at the Manhattan Hotel in Ringwood and she'd often hang out there with friends even when she was off duty. The Manhattan Hotel is still open too. Yes. It is. Mm. I've never been. Have you been? No. Yeah, neither have I. Um, but, it, yeah, it is still around. And Jason worked. I don't think he was working there at the time, but he had also worked there at some stage. So they worked together at some stage as well. On the evening of Tuesday, December 6th, 1994, Elizabeth had planned to stay at Jason's as it was stinking hot. And, Lockie, this is the 6th of December. Do you know how what the temperature was that day in Melbourne? Like 40-something, wasn't it? Yes, it was in the 40s. And Mm. when the heck in December have you last heard of it being 40? I I I have no memory of it. I know, right? Crazy. Anyway, Jason lived with his parents and they had air conditioning, which she did not. Vivian had broken her ankle while she was horse riding and had been staying with her boyfriend in Safety Beach. And that is a bit of a drive away, you know? Yeah. But Elizabeth was called into work last minute or depending on, again, what article you look into, she was working that afternoon but she was meant to be finishing at 8.30. Whatever the case, she did work that night and she started her shift at 5 p.m. and she finished up around 11.45. Now, this would be the last time Elizabeth was ever seen. Elizabeth drove her little red Mazda to and from work that day. She didn't live too far away, so I would assume she would have gotten home around midnight. Mm-hmm. Though Jason had called the pub to see if she was staying over, because remember they had pre-planned for her to stay over that night, Elizabeth decided it would be easier to stay home because she was finishing late and had a specialist appointment early the next morning. And this was for some intense stomach problems she was having. Yeah, she had it for like 12 months or something. Yes, Mm. exactly right. We know she got home that night and that she set her alarm clock in her bedroom for that early morning doctor's appointment. The next day, Elizabeth's parents waited eagerly to hear from her about how her specialist appointment went. Obviously, they were invested in this appointment as well because, like you said, she'd been having these issues for like 12 months. Yeah. Her dad called her around midday, but there was no answer. A few hours later, her mother left a message inviting her to dinner, but still there was no reply. They were a super close family and usually spoke most days. So initially they just thought like maybe she, do you know what I mean, had been called back into work again or she was with Jason or out with friends. It wasn't until after dinner when Jason called them looking for Elizabeth that they knew something was very wrong. He told them he had also been trying to reach her all day. The three of them decided to meet at Elizabeth's place. 
Her parents were the first to arrive and felt a mixture of confusion and relief when they saw her car in the driveway. Vivian's car was also at the house, but she had left it there as she couldn't drive, remember, due to her broken ankle. Mm -hmm. The front door was locked, but Jason managed to get through her open bedroom window. It was typical for the girls to leave their windows open, especially since they didn't have air conditioning and it was summer. Yeah. There was no sign of Elizabeth, but upon entering, Jason noticed a bloody dark brown stain in the hallway. It was like a trail of blood. He quickly opened up for Elizabeth's parents and they searched the house for clues. Everything seemed normal except for the bloody stain on the carpet and it looked like there was a bit on the wall also. It looked like someone had tried, to cl- had tried to clean it up with a mop, but they didn't do a very good job. Who the heck uses a mop on carpet, by the way? Like- a man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what an answer. 100% a man. <laughs> they also noticed that Elizabeth's doona was missing and it appeared she had been in the middle of writing a letter to her friend in the UK as it was half ridden and lay on the table. Jason and Elizabeth's parents called the police, but it took six days for them to investigate and declare her home a crime scene. Yeah, that's wild, isn't it? Is it? Yes. Six days. It totally is. Yeah. There was blood. I know. Like, and she's missing. Yeah. <sighs> Crazy. So, I know. Her parents found out that she had never made it to that doctor's appointment. Remember that one that she had that morning, right? And began calling around to every, you know, I read an article that it was every hospital in Victoria. Hoping, I know, right, that there was some sort of accident and they would find her, but they had no luck. When homicide detectives arrived, so obviously then they go to their house. So it must have just been regular police that went there. But when the homicide detectives arrived, they knew something serious had occurred. The amount of blood found indicated foul play and was most likely fatal. There were signs that someone had tried to clean up unsuccessfully. There was even more blood found under the carpets when they pulled them up. So the blood that they had seen, like to the bare naked eye, wasn't even the amount that was actually, do you know what I mean, had seeped through the carpet. My God. In the laundry, there was a bucket of water and wet rags, but there was no blood. It was. It looked like maybe someone was going to use it, but they never used it. Something I found so random is that apparently the toilet roll and toilet holder were missing. How weird is this? Very weird. You know, probably, like you said, a man thing, like, do you know what I mean? Toilet yeah. paper, people to use toilet paper. Anyway. Yeah. A school friend of Elizabeth's reported seeing her at the Ringwood Aquatic Centre between 11am and 1pm on the day of the 6th. She was chatting with a well-built, sorry, tall, sandy-haired man. Another witness, his name was Warren, remembered that this man became verbally abusive towards Elizabeth and he his memory at the time, obviously, he thought that this was such a big sort of scene that he even turned to his friend and said, quote, have a look at this pain in the ass. Fancy someone like that, Some, sorry, someone like her being told off by someone like this. Oh my God. So, so I don't know, obviously, what's happened there, but when her friend saw her around 11, she was just chatting to this guy. But by 1 o'clock, they were having some sort of like he was yelling at her about something, right? Police received information from a neighbour about a disagreement between Elizabeth and a man in her driveway the day she vanished. Apparently, they were yelling at each other as they loaded bags into the boot of his blue car. Yeah, this also spins me out a bit. Yeah, doesn't it? Mm. So the witness who was at a distance also described the man as, quote, solidly built with light brown hair and around six feet tall. 
An ex-neighbor named Kerry also recalled seeing a tall, strong man in Elizabeth's unit who answered the door. Quote, I remember he smiled and said, Liz, there's someone at the door, Kerry said. What stood out to me most about this man was his body. He was a fine physical example of a man, well built <laughs> and definitely not Elizabeth's boyfriend. So that, and I find it funny because I think Kerry was pregnant at the time. So he's like, wow, like this guy is, you know, in a second trimester where they're like, (laughs) (laughs) how funny. So who's this guy, right? Um, And that's really all we've got about this guy, to tell you the truth. Um, Just that there has been quite a few sightings of this man, but he's never really identified. So Elizabeth's neighbor, Andrea, came forward to say that she was woken up in the early hours of that Wednesday morning by her two barking poodles, which was unusual as they rarely barked. I found that unusual because what poodle doesn't bark? Victor is a nightmare. If a freaking mailman walks by, the whole house knows about it, you know? Yeah, same with Olive. <laughs> Around 1.30 a.m. that morning, they began barking at the front gate again. And when she went out to calm them down, she heard a loud bang and noticed a dirty white sedan with four round lights in Elizabeth's driveway. By the time she left for work around 7, 7.30 a.m., the car was gone and everything seemed normal as she remembers both Elizabeth and Vivian's car was in the driveway. So the car was gone and everything else just seemed like, do you know what I mean, like every other day. Another witness, and this was a milkman, reported to police that he was driving by Elizabeth's home at around 3.30 to 4 a.m. and saw the house was lit up like a Christmas tree, right? He saw a red car with the boot up parked close to the house. And at the time, he just thought someone was, like, moving out. Very weird. Isn't it? Now, an examination of Elizabeth's car found blood in her boot, I think, and it says in her car, so I'm guessing it's a bit like her car and her boot, right? And muddy tires, which was unusual as Elizabeth would only drive on bitumen. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, why is this word so funny? That's just like the road, right? Yeah, it's like a type of, of road. road pavement. Yeah, okay, bitumen, yeah, yeah. 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 Alexa, it's all over this case. Bitumen is like everywhere. So I was like, yeah, curious. All right. Yeah, that's so like he, a sealed road, meaning a sealed yeah. road. Which means, yeah. which obviously then that is unusual if there's actual mud on her tiles. Tiles, sorry. Yeah, and tiles. it was red. It was red yes. soil too, which is super weird for that area. So the driver's seat was pushed all the way back, indicating someone tall had driven it. And obviously, this is not how Elizabeth drove her car. Forensic tests showed that the dirt and soil found in the wheel trims and doors came from driving the car on a dirt road at speeds of 60 to 70 kilometres for at least four kilometres. How smart is that how they figured that out? Yeah. Must have been a lot. Yeah. So the soil matched the type found in King Lake and King Lake, sorry, and Sylvan areas. I'm not actually familiar with these areas. I'm not sure if you are. I think King Lake is like, I mean, don't quote me on this. I want to say northeast Melbourne. Like it's it's a bit further out, and mm. Sylvan I thought was like, yes, yeah. I'm not sure actually. Don't take my word on it. I've got no idea. Yeah, I was actually going to check it and I completely forgot. But anyway, so that's so, that mm-hmm. they think that the soil matched, you know, um, like the dirt matched from, like it obviously came from these two areas. That's what they're thinking anyway. Yeah, so I'm just Googled it. Sorry, King Lake is northeast Melbourne, like, and then Sylvan is like more easterly, like outside of Bayswater. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So detectives concluded that the body was most likely left less than 100 kilometres from where the car was. And you know what I think? Like, 
they totally, like, the killer totally could have dumped her somewhere and then gone back to move her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know why I think that's a possibility. Like, that's what the guy in – well, that's what I, I think the guy in Sydney did, like that bow guy mm. with the two bodies. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I don't think that's out of the rim of possibility because if they, they say that they've searched these areas and haven't found her, I mean, that yeah, that could have been what happened, you mm. know. Investigators think that the murder wasn't planned and someone she knew entered the house between midnight and 3 a.m. while she was writing a letter to her friend in the UK. They think Elizabeth was fatally hit in the head in the hallway. The killer then used her doona to move her to the car trunk and drove her to a secret location. The killer likely used her keys to lock her they then returned her car within three hours. And it seems like like one of the reasons they obviously think that this wasn't premeditated is because the killer seemed just disorganized. Like there's no sort of yeah. organization to this crime. Also, no. Elizabeth's keys and wallet, along obviously with her body, have never been found. Yeah. Weird. So police interviewed more than 3,000 people as part of the investigation and searched for her thoroughly. But as I said, her body's never been found. In January 2006, they announced a $1 million reward. Okay, so let's dive into suspects because this is where things just get like crazy. So there were four main suspects in the case, but it's funny, Lockie, because I actually found five suspects that are regularly sort of spoken about. So I'm thinking the first two I'm going to tell you about, I think one of them would be one of the main four if you if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yep. So so first there's this unnamed guy. He was known for using amphetamines and he lived nearby. He made threats to a woman saying that he'd do the same to her as he did to Elizabeth Membry. He was a hundred and ninety two centimeters tall. He had a goatee and lots of tattoos, which obviously this sort of thing would make him stand out. Yeah. But this didn't match any of the witness descriptions. And one of his friends has called him a liar. And I feel like he was quickly dismissed as a suspect. There is also an unnamed man referred to as the tenant. He had lived in that particular unit where Elizabeth uh, was living with Vivian, right, after separating from his wife. Now, while he was there, he formed a relationship with he, with the neighbor. Remember the witness, uh, Andrea? Andrea, Andrea? Um, so apparently he knew her. And the this guy, who, as I said, nicknamed the tenant, still had a key to the back door. He worked at the Manhattan Hotel a few years earlier and he drove a beaten up white Dan Sang 240K. I don't even know what that is. Obviously, it must be similar to the car that was like, you know, this white car. But you know the thing with this is I feel like if Andrea saw this car, wouldn't she be like, ah, that's my old friend's car? You know what I'm like? Wouldn't she know the car? That's the only thing that makes me think, eh. but he did have a criminal record. I guess this is why police did look into him. And the thing is, this criminal record, right, it was about driving and dishonesty offences. No idea what the heck that is. Um, and he had some sort of theft and deception charges as well. Yes, they weren't, like, really that serious. But, like, when you say criminal record, it wasn't like a, you know, he killed someone before or he had a history of stalking women or nothing like that. But he did, sorry, one thing he did have is he had assaulted a former girlfriend when he had seen her with another man and apparently his criminal file included intentionally causing injury. So, I mean, I would say he was one of, I I think if anything, it would be this guy as one of the four, not that the guy with the tattoos because you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I just feel like they looked into him and they quickly eliminated him. But Mm -hmm. so next on the list is a guy named Richard and 
it's a little bit hard here because I feel like there are some articles that refer to him as Robert, but I'm mm. going with Richard because Ron Idles, who was one of the like lead detectives on the case, refers to him as Richard. So I'm going to go with Richard and just hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. So he was the main suspect early on and was even arrested for the murder, but charges were never laid. He was a 26-year-old bouncer at the Manhattan Hotel and reportedly he was Elizabeth's friend, although some have said she found him creepy. Yeah, but then some people said that they had their breaks together and stuff. Yeah. So, like, (laughs) I don't know why. I do think that they were just friends. And, you know, like maybe he had a crush on her, but, like, why would you hang out with someone if you found him creepy? Because exactly. there are quite a few reports saying that they would hang out together, right? Yeah. So his ex-wife told police that Richard was infatuated with Elizabeth, even calling her his substitute wife. <laughs> there was a wild story from the Sydney Morning Herald that she once had her hands behind her back and he pushed his willy or testicles <laughs> into them. God, men are disgusting, aren't they? I know. What the fudge? <sighs> like women don't go around and push their boobs on people, but men. Probably because they would love push... it. I feel like as guys it's... would love it. Girls are like grossed out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like why do they think? Oh, anyway. Oh, I know. I have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) So when Richard found out the police were looking for him, he went in to answer their questions. He said that he did go to the Manhattan that night, but they wouldn't let him in because of his outfit. Apparently he was wearing like shorts and a singlet. Remember, it was very hot, right? So he and his housemate, Jen, just went home and went to sleep. Can I just say something lucky about this story? Isn't he the bouncer there? Wouldn't he know the dress code? Yeah. Maybe he just thought he'd get away with it. Yeah, because but then wouldn't you be friends with the other people working there? I just found that so random that they wouldn't let him in. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Anyway, even though Jen vouched for him, the cops weren't convinced and decided to tap his phone. They caught him on the phone telling a friend not to spill the beans about his visit to his house that night. Now, when police called him back in for questioning, he came clean and admitted that he lied. It turns out they had gone there to meet his drug dealer, like they'd gone to the Manhattan to meet his drug dealer, right? And when that fell through, their plans changed and he went to the drug dealer's house instead. And obviously he didn't tell police that because he was doing sort of obviously drugs, like something illegal. Yeah. I think the cops moved on to other leads after this. I mean, Richard's name was still up there and they were probably still investigating him. But at the time, it's sort of, that was sort of it. But they did circle back to Richard in the early 2000s. A friend of Jen's had called in with a tip saying that Jen confessed that she never went to the drug dealer's house and if the police pressed her, she would spill everything. She also mentioned, sorry, I think, as in, I don't know if she said she'd spill everything, but if they cracked her, they'd pretty much crack the case, you know? Yeah, okay. She also mentioned the bucket of clean water at the crime scene, which the police initially thought wasn't public knowledge but it turns out that it had been reported on. Investigators dug into Richard again, but when there wasn't enough evidence to charge him, I think they uh, like eventually just eliminated him. And you know what's really funny? So they used like a tactic to eliminate Richard and that tenant guy, but it's never been disclosed because apparently police use it and they can't tell you how they eliminate you because it could either eliminate you or implicate you. How interesting is that? I wonder what they do. Yeah. Like Ron Idles is like, we, like, we can't reveal how we eliminated him, but he's been eliminated. Mm. How cool is that? 
Very cool. (laughs) It wasn't until many years later that there was another break in the case. So now we are going on to suspect three, right? So in 2010, Shane Bond was charged with Elizabeth's murder, but he was acquitted two years later. Early on in the investigation, multiple tips, and I'm saying multiple, like six tips came in about Shane, but it seems police didn't take them very seriously. Apparently, Shane was a regular at the Manhattan Hotel and would drink there on Saturdays during the footy season. At the time, Shane was 20 and drove a white Datsun Coupe. I should have done more investigation into these cars, by the way, because this is a lot of car information and I'm not very good with cars. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you know what this thing I don't know what the heck this thing is. Well, I don't know what it looks like, but I know that they don't make Datsuns anymore. Oh, that's a nice like fun a- fact, Lucky. Yeah. So after a newspaper article came out in 2006, a bunch of new and old information was called in and one particular tip caught the investigator's attention, especially because he had been a person of interest early on. So obviously, like, they're like, hang on a sec, this name's coming up again. Like, how did we eliminate him in the first place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A man rang, said he had called before to tell police that Shane Bond could have done this since he had come home covered in blood the night Elizabeth disappeared, right? It's believed that because Shane had bad acne, but no witnesses ever mentioned acne, he was ruled out as there were stronger suspects. How wild is this? Yeah, that's... And a lot of the witnesses saw things from far away. How the heck are they going to know he's got a few pimples, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's probably just because that woman said a fine male specimen. specimen. Yeah. She was pregnant, so maybe she didn't mind me. Looking into Shane further, they found out that although he claimed not to know of Elizabeth, that was a lie. So he did know of her. So I think they caught him in that line. They're like, hang on a sec, you know, what's going on here? Some people claimed Shane had a crush on Elizabeth, but she found him creepy and had even complained to a co-worker about him. So this is where I reckon the whole... Richard and Shane, like, I think they've got confused because you know how people were saying that she thought Richard was creepy? I reckon someone's gotten confused. She was friends with Richard. She found Shane creepy. Mm. But Shane, but, you know, if I guess if it's a friend, totally makes sense. But if it's a co-worker, you'd think that they'd know who Richard was not that Shane, like, Richard worked there and Shane was just, like, a customer. Like, it's so random. Yeah. But it's funny that they both have the same, like you said, people are coming forward with exactly the same story, so there has to be some sort of confusion there, right? Yeah. Now, I found this suspicious. Shane left Melbourne for Queensland just two days after Elizabeth disappeared. Very suspicious. Isn't it? So they looked into whether a vehicle belonging to Shane matched the description of that cream or white car that was observed by Andrea. I remember the night of her disappearance. And you know what else I find so freaking suspicious, Lucky? Apparently this guy, Shane, hand-painted his own car black. Yeah, I mean, this is like um, bloody Missing Campus 2.0. Remember the bloody <laughs> painted his own car? Why would you paint your own car? I, and can I tell you, that is the, like, freaking just go dump your car somewhere. Why the heck are you going to paint it? That is so suspicious. I just don't get yeah. it. Yeah. So at his trial, one person claimed that he told them, quote, they will never find the body. His roommate went on the stand and told the court that Shane had come home early that morning with his face, arms, and clothes smeared in blood. Yeah. Shane did confirm his roommate's story, but he has he said that he had bitten his tongue while he was having an epileptic fit, and I think he did yes. have epilepsy. epilepsy That's something yeah. that I looked into. Yeah, 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 I was like, hang on, yeah. 
police were able to find 10 people who said Shane had implicated himself in the murder, but it wasn't enough after the eight-week trial, and he was found not guilty. There was no fingerprints, no eyewitnesses, no DNA. There was no, like, physical evidence, you know, evidence. Yeah. the crime. But, like, really, no one was, like, they didn't take it seriously for six days. They could have had evidence and it yeah. disappeared, you know, like. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Like this, now we're going to get into our final suspect. And this, how it's taken this effing long to, like, Fully, like, let's just say, all right, let me get into it, actually, because I'm going to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> let me just get into it. All right. <laughs> Our final suspect has recently come to light. And when I say recent, I mean, like, 2023, like, last year, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although it's intriguing that there were articles claiming that he was cleared from years back. I mean, I found a bunch of articles from, like, the 90s that say that he was cleared. I think even in the 2000s, he's usually mentioned as like a side note and they say like he was cleared. But when I go into this, I'm like, how the F was he cleared, right? But like why was a lot of them cleared, you know? like, Yeah. yeah. yeah but wait till you get into these details. It's freaking crazy. All right. So according to The Age, a secret five-year reinvestigation concluded that, ready for it, mm-hmm. the brother – of Elizabeth's housemate was the killer, Lockie. Wow. Right? So here's what we know about the housemate's brother. DNA found in Elizabeth's car matched his, and he's a Melbourne man previously convicted of rape in Queensland. He had been to the house his sister owned several times, possibly around like five or six times. He lived with his parents at the time of the crime. He claimed he moved Elizabeth's car once, which like I'm guessing he's trying to explain away the DNA and why the DNA might be in her car. But his sister disagreed, stating they would never ask him to move their cars and also they had like clear path like they had a clear sort of pathway to the road like they both could fit in the driveway so why the heck would he have had to move elizabeth's car just doesn't make sense so that's big that the sister isn't corroborating his story yes that's pretty huge isn't it and there's rumors also like it's not confirmed but apparently that he he potentially had a spare key to the house as he was working on Vivian's kitchen but even like so say he didn't have a key Elizabeth would probably open the door to him cuz she would have known him yes either way exactly. you know what i mean exactly but there is hang on i'm going to get into it a little bit now only because there is a little comment that she had refused to let him in before. Maybe she found him mm, freaking creep. Creepy. Maybe he was the creep, right? But anyway, yeah. so witnesses told police that the suspect made disturbing comments about the case, suggesting that Elizabeth was safe and that her body wouldn't be found due to surrounding bush. There were also claims that he mentioned Elizabeth being in a river. Now, three days before Elizabeth's disappearance, he attempted to visit her, but she refused to let him in. This is what I was saying, right? But he says that he went there to see his sister and she did let him in to use the bathroom. Now, there are some discrepancies regarding the car he drove at the time of Elizabeth's disappearance. Some saying it was like a gold brown car and others mentioned it was blue. Remember that blue car? She was seen putting those bags in the car. So that sort of like, I mean, I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know how you couldn't find out which freaking car he had. Like, can't you just go to Vic Roads? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe he didn't have a car. Oh, he's Maybe he like, actually didn't own a car and he just would use friends' cars parents. or his parents' cars or, yeah. I actually had to use a calculator to do some math to figure out how old this guy would have been. I think he would have been about 19 at the time this happened. So, time, yeah, exactly. Okay. So maybe he just used what cars were available to him, you know? Mm. You know something freaking crazy, right? So he actually testified 
during Shane's trial. Did you know why? that? He went on the but set. Why would so, he? Well, because he says that he had seen two men near Elizabeth's house on the day she went missing. So they've obviously got him because obviously, like, his sister lived at the place. He's obviously, like, sort of close or knows Elizabeth. But he went and testified, sorry, testified at Shane's trial. Mm. But the police doubted the accuracy of his account. Why would he even do, like, oh, anyway. Yeah, so he's obviously reported that he was near nearby and had seen him on the day, right? Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Um, something else very suspicious. He left Melbourne shortly after the murder, cutting off contact with his family and friends. What the heck is that? Jesus. He was wearing a cast when he left, and despite being on work cover, he mentioned needing to fill a back. Ho, I don't even know what that is. Or departing. It's a, it's a, um, like you use it. It's like a piece of machinery. So anyway, so yeah, he he did that just before he left. Interestingly, on his way out of Melbourne, so he left Melbourne with a friend, right? And he left ten days after Elizabeth disappeared, and he insisted on driving by Elizabeth's house on his way out of town despite not being on his route. So he went out of his way to drive to past, past Elizabeth's house for one last time. After trivia. the murder. Uh-huh. Yep. Mm. Yep. A woman, and I'm guessing that this particular lady, I actually think, Lockie, she also testified at Shane's. This is my understanding. So obviously the, the um, Shane's defense are trying to, you know, put forward alternative suspects and things like that during the trial. And this woman, I think, was a witness for the defense, right? And she informed police that she found a wallet in the brother's car and it was black leather. And I think that when she asked, like, whose wallet's this, he said it belonged to his friend Liz. And Liz's missing wallet, this is at the time, right? So this is years later. This lady comes forward and says this. Anyway, years later you find out that Elizabeth, this matched the description of Elizabeth's missing wallet. Wallet. Mm. Yes. But you know what this makes me think? As well, sorry, can I just quickly yeah. say something before I forget? If there was multiple people, like friends, family, that had, I think, again, there was maybe six people that called in this brother as suspicious, like tips about this brother, this lady could have been one of them regarding the wallet and the pol- I don't understand. This is what I was going to say to you earlier. I just cannot understand for the life of me why, how he was ruled out. Yeah. I mean, like, the thing, the difference between, like, I think him and Shane are probably the two most, like, legitimate suspects. The difference, though, between the two of them is that the brother has DNA and Shane doesn't. And and access to the house? Yeah, if you're going to go by physical evidence, the brother has that and Shane doesn't. So I think that says a lot. A hundred percent. You know what else as well, right? I feel like Shane doesn't match the description of like the tall. Who is this tall, good-looking man? I have no sandy-haired man. The yeah. physical specimen. Like no one still knows who this guy is, right? But I wonder what the brother looks like because there's nothing on his appearance. I'm very curious. Um, but what I wanted to tell you, right, is that it was actually con- concerned relatives and friends of this brother that contacted police multiple times alleging his obsession with Elizabeth. Yeah, see, that just that says it all, doesn't it? And wait a sec, it gets crazier. So apparently I read that he would go and watch her dance. Like, because, you know, remember him and his sister used to dance? Her and his sister. Sorry, his sister and Elizabeth would dance together. Apparently he'd go and watch them. He had a history of stalking and their incriminating remarks. This is the sort of stuff that's been called in. There is also reports, this is freaking creepy, of him trying to gain entry into a neighbor's house by knocking on windows. And once he appeared in their hallway unexpectedly. So he's. That's so creepy. Isn't it? I, I hate strangers in a house. Like. Do you know what? Sorry oh. to veer off, but do you know what happened to me? 
and my friend when we me and two friends moved out of home in Warrnambool when we were 18 like literally months after we all turned 18 baby you're so little and yeah and we lived like close to like the middle of town so when we would go out to like the nightclubs and stuff we would just walk home right because it was so close and this one night we all went out and I think two of us at the time walked home and we had boyfriends at the time we'd gotten home and we both went to bed like with our boyfriends and then like minutes after we'd like gone walk through the door because we both just retreated to our bedrooms some random fucking guy was in our house and he was drunk and he'd obviously followed us home and just let himself into our house yeah it was fucking creepy lucky what yeah it's lucky that our boyfriends were there honestly because they just like kind of got up and and just you know kind of ushered him out he was very drunk. Like, he was easy to kind of turn around and just push out the door. But, like, it's very lucky that we weren't alone because, like, ugh. Yeah, that is freaking creepy. You know, just while we're on this, sorry, this is a bit of a side note, but there's this thing my cousin told me when I was very little, right? And I always thought it was just like she was trying to scare me. It was like an urban legend sort of thing. Anyway, and I asked my auntie about it because I saw my auntie yesterday and I just it just happened to come up. We're talking about like break-ins and stuff like that. And she's like, no, that actually happened. And can I tell you, the fact that I know this actually did happen now, now I'm even more scared because in like the 90s, my grandma, we had like family here from Cyprus, right? Anyway, they were staying at my grandma's house and they had gotten home. And when they got home, I think the fly screen or there's a window open, there was something weird about the house. Anyway. They all went to bed that night, and I don't know if you've ever seen this. I don't even know. Like, I've never seen it. I've only ever seen it at my grandma's house. But she had one of those beds, and the bed is, like, very tall. When I say very tall, I mean, like, you have to sort of climb to get on it, and then it's got, like, a little, like, curtain around. Did you know what I'm talking about? I think it's, like, an older yeah, day yeah. bed. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so my auntie and uncle from Cyprus were sleeping at, in, like, that particular bed in the spare room, right? Anyway, and my auntie the whole night just had a very uneasy feeling. So this is my auntie from Cyprus. You know, she goes to bed that night and she had the door like ajar. Anyway, the, while they were there, they could they kept hearing. My grandma lived in a court, right? They kept hearing this car, like it's kept like kept going in and out of the court, and that's weird. Like I live in a court now, and it's there's not much traffic, you know, especially like in the middle no. of the night. Anyway, so she's lying awake and she's just freaked out in general. She's like something weird's going on, and while she's lying there, she sees like the door open, <laughs> like the bedroom door open, right? And she's like, "What the fuck?" Because they're so high up in the bed, you can only see the top half of the of the door. So she was freaked the F out. You know, she gets up the next morning and she tells like my other auntie, like my dad's brother and like, do you know what I mean? My grandma and everything, what happened? And they're like freaked out and they realize that they had been robbed and they must have mm. come home while they were mid rob being robbed, right? And the guy hid under the bed in her mm. room. No. That's yes, so lucky. creepy. And one of them must have got out. I know. I freaking know. One of the robbers got out and must have been coming by with the car like every whatever half an hour to try to pick up his friend that was stuck in the house. <laughs> oh, my Are God. You die. I'm actually dying that this happened. And I, my cousin told me when I was young and I was like, she, <laughs> my whole life I was like, oh, she's probably just trying to scare me. And last night I found out that freaking actually happened. He was hiding under the bed, the robber. Oh, my God. And it wasn't until the morning. Imagine that, that, if you were the robber. Like, you'd also, be, you'd also be scared because you're <laughs> so stuck in there. <laughs> and you're stuck under the bed. I, oh. And they oh know because God. they could see, you know, like when you drag, like obviously they crawled out and you could see like knee marks. Like, you know, when you, like they were like drag, like crawling out of the house. Freaking Jesus. Crazy. Anyway, sorry, I have literally gone on to something completely different. So That's really scary. It is. But back to this case, um, he was rumoured, like this brother, he was rumoured to be a small-time sort of robber in that area. 
And the way they found his DNA is, remember I said that he was convicted for a rape in Queensland. When they put his DNA into the national database, they got a hit that matched Elizabeth's car. And the fact that he's already connected to Elizabeth, he's not even a random to Elizabeth, I just feel like this sort of really comes full circle. Like it makes sense, right? And the fact that his sister's car was in the driveway. So if it was a random, how the heck would they have known that Vivian wasn't home? When there's two cars there, he would have known his sister had broken her ankle and was staying at her boyfriend's. Yeah. Yeah, so this is recent. So there still is, like, it still could have a bit of movement, really. Well, potentially. I think that, like, some of the articles I read were, like, they are pushing now for an inquest into this because – Exactly. Imagine if they've done like a secret five-year investigation about this. Who knows what they've uncovered? And I really hope that, honestly, all Elizabeth's family want is her body. Like they literally just, yeah, they literally are desperate to find her body and just put it to rest. And it's really sad that her family have fought so hard for this. They've gone through that eight-week trial. Like there's so much... You know, do you know what I mean? They keep trying to keep her name out there. And and honestly, the last few years, it has not been out there. I'd say the last 15 years, I've, I've not heard about this. Have you? No, no. No. Um, really sad that Roger, her father, passed before hearing these new developments. So I thought that was really, really sad. Um, but I'm hoping for them that, you know, this, this is will it. go. Yeah. yeah, this will go to the coroner. Um, I know that in 1996 they actually held a memorial for Elizabeth, hoping it would create some sort of closure, but it didn't. It didn't do anything for them. So, yeah, I'm hoping well, this like is their chance, you know. The coroner can't ignore the DNA match. You can't see that and think, oh, not enough evidence. Yeah, I think like – once it does go to the coroner, I'm sure it will actually go to a hearing. It has to. Right? And not only that, but if they could take Shane to trial with, I'm sorry, it was also, it was just circumstantial, random yeah. people. And, and this was years later. Like this was like, I can't even remember, like let's say 10 plus years later, 15 years later, and he was found I know he was found not guilty, but they only they didn't have any hard evidence against him, and they took that to trial. Surely something can happen with this, yeah. Yeah, surely. So, yes, there is still a $1 million reward for information that leads to an arrest and a conviction of the killer. And if anyone has any information, no matter big, small, whatever, please call Crime Stoppers. Their number is one 800 330 That is okay. Crazy one. It is crazy sad. If you have a case you'd want us to cover, you can send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Caffeine Crime and Canines, or you can head to our website and leave a request in the request box. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave us a five star review, head to our website to purchase some merchandise, or you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash caffeine crime canines. And until next week. Until next week. Bye. Bye.